State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Afrotech 2019, Oakland, California. I'm in the main expo hall with Charles Hudson, managing partner at Precursor Ventures, talking about investing in early stage startups. So many companies get sold the idea that farming out tech to contractors or offshore developers undercuts your opportunity to build something meaningful that if you can't hire the talent in-house, that you might be doing this wrong. What does Charles say about that? So I think a long time ago, most technology products built by tech startups were deeply technical. So if you're Intel, you're building chips and motherboards. A lot of the companies I meet today, I don't mean this to denigrate their products. The products they're building have really low technical risk. You're building a retail experience, you're gonna start on Shopify. Do you really need a Google engineer to help you get started on Shopify? I don't think so. So the way I think about it is if your product has relatively low technical risk, the most important thing is to get it built. And if that's done by an agency or an Upworker to get you to V1, I think that's totally fine. I'm Will Lucas. This is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm going to introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. Clarence Bethia is founder and CEO at Upsea, a technology company offering consumers an alternative when purchasing extended warranties for electronics like mobile devices and home appliances. He recently closed an $18 million Series A funding round. I asked Clarence about the concept that, with several black-owned startups announcing large fundraisers recently, Upsea among them, is there still validity to the idea that there's still so little progress to show for black founders raising sufficient capital to build and scale their businesses? Do I believe that that narrative has changed? No, 
I think oftentimes we look at when, you know, Will has a show, right? Or Clarence raises some money or, you know, this black, black person does this one thing. And we start looking at the narrative, like, look, it's getting better. And, it, and the truth is, I, I don't believe that is, it's, it's gotten better for me, which is okay, it's great, but I'm also not, I'm not in this game just for me, I'm in this for, for all of us. So I think why I've been, been blessed and lucky and, and fortunate, um, it's, we, we still have such a long way to go. You know, so we see like these wins that people like you just raised $18 million. People like Squire just raised a bunch of money. And there's there's so many more people who have raised money, both uh, institutionally and even like with crowdfunding. And I wonder like, what if you could give me like your, you know, two minute, three minute state of black companies being funded, what would you say it looks like at present day? I think at present day, what we see is what Solange and I'm doing at, at Squire, right? We, we see Upsy, we see what um, Steven and those guys are doing over at a kid's company about, like we see those moments, but remember those moments are like, they're in TechCrunch, <laughs> they're in Black Enterprise, they're, you know, they're, they're in all of these other things. And, and I still hear so many stories every day of founders with great ideas, um, great businesses, who are not getting funded at the rate of our counterparts are getting funded. So ideas on a napkin, or I haven't quite hit traction yet. And we know that our counterparts, like they get the opportunity to figure out traction and figure out, go to, go to market. Oftentimes we don't get a chance to figure that stuff out. And so I don't think we're any better off than we were two years ago. They're just, there's more news around us because what happened with George Floyd and what happened with Dante Wright. So there's, it, it is it is pretty cool to announce a black person's raise or a black person's show or a black person X right now because you're gonna get clicks. Yeah, and, and I, when I read your, um, and it's been well documented that you came through Techstars program when you had this idea for this warranty business. And I wonder, you know, how, did you go for capital first or did you go for customers first? And if you went for customers first, you know, how did you get that traction when, you know, if you're selling warranties, that means you got to have the money to be able to put it out if I break my device. Right. Yeah. I got lucky in the early days. I had some former angel investors who put a little bit of money in and some time and some, you know, built out our first kind of MVP and so out of the gate, I had, you know, we, we while we were going after customers, we had a little bit of money in the bank of, of folks that could help us. Um, but when we got into Techstars, Techstars really turned me on to like what venture was and what it is and what it can be. Because before Techstars, I didn't know how to raise. I hadn't raised one venture dollar. I didn't understand how you play the venture game. I didn't understand how you pitch. I just knew I had a bunch of gumption to, to try to do this, but I didn't know the game. It was in, in, in tech stars where they're like, hey, okay, you have all this pizzazz and this charisma. Now let us teach you how to actually play the game the way it's supposed to be played so you can actually get money in the bank. So I would say we probably went for customers first um, and then learn how to raise money later. So let, let's talk about that tech stars program. Cause, so Clarence met here today. Let's say you are reviewing that Clarence's application to tech stars. Um, because you successfully got into the program, 
if you're reviewing your application as the, the, the reviewer, what is it in history's clearance application that says, you know what, this guy's got something, then let's let him in. Because there's thousands of people who apply to these, to these accelerators and boot camps, and you got in. So if you were reviewing your application from that day, what was it that said, yeah, yeah he's somebody we want? I, I don't believe it had, us getting in don't, didn't have anything to do with our application. I, I think us getting in had everything to do with how bold I was walking into the program. Um, some of it was fake boldness because I didn't, I, I, internally, I really didn't feel like I des I deserved to be, and, 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 and you're asking me to go back to a time before I know what I know now, but going into the program, we had people from Silicon Valley, we had people from New York. I was really, really intimidated. I was, I was, my wife will tell you, I was scared because I was, wow, there's, you know, there's a woman from Silicon Valley who was at HP for all these years and like had this network and was great. And I think I just had to be bold. And, and you know, you, you know, my story is well documented. Like I'm just a street kid, man. I come from the hood. I grew up, you know, doing all the wrong things that you possibly can do. So in times of, 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 of being nervous and in times of like not knowing what to do, kind of the only thing that you can turn to is your confidence and, and being bold. And I would say that is what I was just bold enough to think, yeah, I can come in, I can do this. Um, and, and it's worked out so far for us. So let's, let's talk, let's dig into your history a little bit, because I wonder what was that moment where you realized what Silicon Valley was and what venture capital was to be nervous walking into those rooms. Like you said, you said yourself, you know, you were a street kid. So, so many of us come from these backgrounds and we, and too many in our neighborhoods still don't know what Silicon Valley is. What was your introduction to that world beyond, you know, wanting to build something, which we'll talk about. What was your introduction to that specific world that says, you know, this is a little bit intimidating because this is, the, could be my future. You know, I'm right. walking into a room that people who, in many ways, not all of the ways, but in many ways, hold the keys. Right. Uh, my first foray with Silicon Valley was actually in Silicon Valley. Um, I went to, uh, I was in a program called Village Capital. Um, they, they run a great program where they get the top two companies, 100 grand at the end of the program. And their final, the final piece of the program was in Silicon Valley. And it was at, at this big law firm. And then you move to um, this, like where, all the Silicon Valley like investors meet up deal. And I remember we had like 80 Silicon Valley investors there. And it was a hard lesson for me to learn. They didn't give a damn about me. Like it, it was clear that I was a nobody, that I meant nothing to them. I was just a black guy in the room. Yeah. And I remember being like, wow, like nobody even, even though I felt like I was, I was like, I, I won the competition. So even though I felt like, man, like, I know what I'm doing. I'm not, like, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm figuring it out. And, you know, I'm charismatic. I'm all these things that they say you want to be. And it was clear, you know, that was 2016. It was like, nah, I don't believe. And I, and I, I actually had an investor tell me, he said to me, Clarence, I've never seen a black founder go to exit or IPO at, at like a, a billion plus exit. So I just have a hard time believing that a black founder can build a big company. So I'm wow. just not interested. Wow. Um, and it, it, it was sobering. So one can take that many ways. Um, 
you being the guy who you grew up being, when you have somebody put that kind of, you know, stamp on you saying, you know, I've never seen nobody like you uh, do this, that entrepreneur, like, what did your spirit say, like, in that moment? Like, I'm going to be that guy? Can, can we curse on this show? <laughs> um, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a big chip on the shoulder type of guy. And so when people were telling me, especially earlier on in the journey, that I would never do this, I would never do that, like, you don't have the background, you don't have the pedigree, that, that's a word I kept hearing. You don't have the pedigree, you didn't go to Harvard, you didn't drop out of Stanford, you don't have the network. Man, I tend to say, fuck you. Like, in my mind, right? Yeah, yeah. In my mind, I'm like, all right, okay, I'm gonna show you. Um, and I, I, I think at a certain, I'm actually getting out of that phase now of this journey because um, everybody seemed to believe that we can do what we can do now. But early on in the journey, I would use that as, as motivation um, to just be like, all right, well, if you don't believe me, let me show you. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of six million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. 
So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. What do you think happens in um, the tech space for black entrepreneurs? Um, Do you think not enough of us have that? Or do you think so many of us have that, that maybe they're not getting recognized? Like, how come not enough of us, as to your earlier point, and it's, it's very well known, not enough of us are raising capital like at the levels that you have and that others that we've mentioned do not enough of us have that or is there are there other issues that um keep people keep us from getting to the place to where we're even having the conversation at that level with an investor yeah so i see it both ways to be honest with you and then this is you know this is always tough for me to, to talk about there's one side of it from a founder you know you're a founder right like we're, we're founders where we're like like we all think that we deserve money and that's cool. And, and like, yes, we should be more bold and whatever. But on the other side of me, which is I'm a scout at True Ventures out of San Francisco. They're one of the top C stage firms. Uh, I also get a lot of inbound from black founders. And what I see a lot of times is we're not ready for prime time. And not only are we not ready for prime time because we've had to fight and claw and scratch and like have that kind of screw you mentality we also don't have our ears open mm. to hear like what we need to hear to get to the next level. And I, and I give you, a, I give you a, a quick example. I was talking to a founder, I don't know, a few months ago and the, we were going back and forth over zoom. And I was like, Hey, like, and, and I, I'm not the one to give advice, but I do give you like, here's what worked for Clarence. Here's what I did to have success. And feel free to follow it or not, but there's just fundamental things you can't do in a pitch. You can't do in, in a pitch deck. It's just certain stuff, you know, like, I mean, you could probably say you have an hour phone call, like, <laughs> don't do this. <laughs> right? So fast. Um, and, and I was going back and forth with the founder and I said, hey, I really think, you know, you should try doing this. Like, like you, you don't talk about traction. I think I was talking about traction. You don't talk about traction anywhere. And he was like, well, I'm kind of pre-revenue. I said, great but you still have some traction point. Like mm. how fast are you building your product or or how many um, people on your wait list do you have? Like all of that is considered traction in this game because dudes are raising millions of dollars off of ideas on a napkin. Yeah. So you show some traction, you can get it. And the dude literally looked at me and he was like, F you, you just don't want to see me win. You want to be the only one in the room, wow. blah, 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 blah. And, and I remember thinking like, man, like, if you had just listened, I, I wasn't, I wasn't here. I wasn't here to, to like hurt you. I was here to give you everything that somebody gave to me at one point. And so I, I think we, while yes, there's a funding problem. There's also that attitude of, and I had it at the beginning. I had to like, I got checked on it. And somebody sat me down and said, Hey man, you're not going to be your best self unless you learn to listen. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Da, 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 da. It's like, everybody's not out here to hurt you. Some people are out here to help you and you have to decipher between the two. So I, I think that we have to, um, we because we've been in a fight and a struggle for so long, we have to understand that there are people out here to help. Um, and sometimes you got to learn to just listen and then walk away gracefully and decipher and take what you need out of it. So how do you decipher through that? How do you know 
who's really trying to give you some game and the ones that are, you know, just saying whatever they got to say because they don't believe. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody to me deserves to be listened to. How I take it is up to me. So if if you're giving me advice and I may say, Will, like, man, like, thanks for the advice, man. I, I appreciate it. And I'm so humbled that you would even take your time out to give it to me. Then it's my job to walk away and start to look at what you're saying and say, okay, you know what? It's kind of full of it yeah. at this point. But this little this little ten percent that he gave me is going to help my business go to the next level. Oftentimes we walk away and we say, if we don't agree with one thing that you say, we stop agreeing with everything that you say. And I just don't believe that that's true. There's nuggets in in, in all of this advice that you should get, um, and it, it takes a humble spirit. To, to, to figure out that 10% that you should be taking. You know, I wonder, you, you're making me think about when you said the investor said, you know, I've never seen anybody, you know, exit at the billion dollars IPO who looked like you. And you talked about that, that happened after winning a competition. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much stock we should be putting into competitions then, because you know, there's a lot of diversity theater out here. Um, and $25,000 checks can mean nothing to a lot of these companies. And it could be, Hey, we had a black company win our competition, you know, they got this $25,000 check. And so apparently to that investor, you winning a competition was not enough to say that this guy clears is onto something. How should we be looking at competitions, um, with a critical mind? But also one, you know, hey, if I'm, I'll take the 25K, but how should we also be looking at them critically and strategically as proof points that we're onto something? Right, right, great question. Competitions are great from the standpoint of you get up, get up in front of uh, most time a live crowd and practice and be able to have the ability to understand what it's like to change an emotion in a room because great founders can change emotion in a room. Great founders can make you like hear a business and you say, oh, that's stupid. And then get in front of it. You get up in front of the stage and the whole emotion in the room changes. So I think they're good for that practice. But like you said, we can't put too much stock in it because oftentimes these these competitions are theater. I need a black person or I need need a couple of black people to do it. Like literally I've been reached out to where people say, Hey, we want you to be in our $25,000 pitch competition. And I send them the link to our article, to an article. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, like like you didn't even do no homework. All you saw was that I was black. Yeah. Yeah. There's somebody more deserving for this at this stage. And so I think there's a lot of diversity theater that plays into this. So I, I think we have to look at it for what it is. It is an opportunity to pitch. And whenever you have the opportunity to pitch, you should take it. Win, lose or draw to get better. Because yeah. in order, like I keep telling people, in order to raise the money that we raise today, you know how many bad pitches I've had? <laughs> I've had hundreds of bad pitches in order to get to a pitch where it made sense. So I would say do it, but understand what you're doing. We talked a little bit about your introduction, um, finding out that Silicon Valley even existed, right? And and there's so many um, in our communities, the communities that we come from that um, that still struggle with, you know, some of the issues that you said you did as you were growing up. And what do you find as a successful, if we're trying to sell them on, Hey, there's this other world out here, other world of building really big companies. 
Um, what do you find as a successful narrative or a successful story that um, would get their attention to see that there's a viable path in this world that they may not have considered for themselves? Right. I, I speak at jails and prisons, especially before COVID. I do that a lot. And I say the same thing to them. I am no smarter, no more savvy, no more like my business acumen is not any better than any of theirs. It's all about taking the time and just doing it. Like a lot of times it's just about jumping into the game and being a voracious learner. Um, I don't believe, like, I think oftentimes we make founders, we, we make them feel like they're special. Like we are, like we have the special innate because we, we feed off the Elon Musk and it's the, the Steve Jobs kind of aura. Yeah. And, and, and the truth is, I don't look at anything that we've done at Upsy as special or unique or anything like that. I look at the work that our team do on behalf of our customers as special and unique. But as a founder, I'm like, man, like, like there's nothing special about Clarence. <laughs> like, yeah. like, and so that is my message to anybody. Every time I go speak, I say, there's nothing special about me. You, all of you are smarter than I am. All of you are more savvy than I am. The one thing that I don't know that you all are more than me is I'm gonna outwork you at every turn. And if you can outwork people, because I, look, I got a lot of white buddies who are founders. Man, they are some of the laziest SOBs I've ever been around in my life. Yeah. Yeah. But they've raised hundreds of millions of dollars. We can't be that. I can't be that. I got to outwork you in order to get in the room. So my message is always the same. You want to get in the room? You want to have a chance? Outwork everybody. So let, let's go a step further on there because let's say you sold it. Okay, yeah, I know business is, you know, an opportunity out there for somebody, but I don't really have any like brilliant ideas. Like there's nothing special about warranties. You know, it's, nope. it's a warranty, yeah. right? And so let's go a step further and say, okay, now you've sold me that business. There's this viable path some way that um, I can find a different life for myself, but I don't know like what now, what to do. I've in effect devalued my own idea. So what would you say to that? To, to that person just trying to figure out like, what do I do next? Exactly. With they yeah. don't, they don't feel like they have an idea worthy of millions of dollars or, or market attention or et cetera. Man, Google is a powerful tool. You you literally can start your business by Googling how to start a business. You know, there's tools like Shopify. There, there's so many, you know, BitCommerce. There's so many tools where you can just say, you know what, I want to start this thing. I'm just going to set up a Shopify store and figure it out. And a lot of times, again, it goes back to my first comment. Sometimes you just got to go and do it. Like, it, it's going to be all screwed up. It's not going to make sense. You know, I got many buddies who wants to start businesses. They're just like, well, but what do I do next? I'm like, just go do it. And guess what? When you mess up, you'll figure out the right thing to do. Like a lot of this game is not in books and 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 all these other places that people want you to find it. Sometimes you just gotta go do the work, mess up, and figure it out. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, 
a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements. Along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I want to talk about the, the milestones to actually raising as much money as you did. You know, I asked you this question from the perspective of like how, like if you were reading the Clarence's application to get into Techstars, what if I'm the VC and I'm reading um, your inbound to raise this $18 million that you were 18 plus million that you raised? What if, if you're the VC, talk to me about those indicators that you presented and what is the VC reading that says, yeah, I want in on Clarence's deal? Yeah, I believe that there's a, a couple of triggers that get VCs interested in your business. Um, one, I think traction. Like if you can show that you're growing the business in a steady way, in a sustainable way, um, that was one thing that, that we show. So if I'm a VC on the outside, I'm like, oh, they, they've grown the business dramatically. That's great. Um, two, I'm a big bet on team and our team team is the smartest, brightest, hardest working folks I've ever been around. And so I'm looking at our team and I'm looking at, you know, what they've done in the past and what they're doing now. Um, and I'm betting on that team because they're, they're that good. Um, and then three, I would say that the, the space, the industry is $48 billion now supposed to grow to be 67 billion by 2027 in the United States alone, um, $160 billion globally. Um, I'm looking at that space and say, okay, they don't have to get everything right to win. Mm, mm, that's, I, think those, I think those are hard spaces to go in. When you got to be right 100% of the time, you know, we can be right a quarter percent of the time and still, the multi, still build a multi-billion dollar business. So Go uh, in there because I, I don't hear a lot of people talk about that. So if, give some education to that point there, please. On You don't right? have to be right all the time to, to find success. Yeah, so, so I think when I look at some people's businesses, they're like, well, if, if I'm right, this is what happens, right? And, and 
I actually don't believe that those are the best business. Now we've seen those businesses work out and they, you know, multi-billion dollar businesses, but I didn't want to be in a business where I had to be 100% right in order for this thing to be a rocket ship. Mm. And what I mean by that is other players, like Best Buy can continue to do what they do. Target continue to do what they do. Um, some of our startup competitors that are on the B2B side can continue to do what they do. And Upsy still can be a multi-billion dollar company. Wow. I don't believe that this is a winner's take all deal. Um, and it's showing itself up because, you know, those companies are thriving. We are thriving and we're all kind of doing what we do right now in the market. More often than not, I, I personally even, and I'm sure this is a sentiment, you know, that's mainstream. I see warranties as in like an unwanted, like upsell, <laughs> you know, like, hey, you bought some Q-tips, you want the warranty? Like, you know, right. like, <laughs> so like, <laughs> like, how do you get over this consumer, like, sense about warranties? Yeah, I mean, so first I would say, that's what's so exciting about our space, right? It's a space of where, like, you hate warranties or you don't want to hear about warranties. And we're trying to put this fresh new look that warranties are valuable to you. You know, it. I always go back to the stats about where we're at in this country. Um, over 40% of consumers don't have $400 uh, in their bank account if something breaks or need to be replaced. And almost 70% of consumers don't have $1,000 in their savings account. So when you look at where this country is as a whole, you know the, the next iPhone that comes out is going to cost $1,500. We no longer can say um, that the iPhone is a luxury. It was a luxury in 2008 when it launched. It is no longer a luxury. It is a necessity. Um, if I bet you, if you look around yourself right now, you have four or five devices around you that keep you connected to your world, whether it's your laptop, your tablet, your phone, um, whatever that, that may be. And so when we're looking at Upsy, we're saying, well, we want to make it more affordable. We want to make it more transparent. And we want to make sure that we are servicing the hell out of our customers. And if we can do those three things and stay true to who we are, then we can carve out our own little niche in this space, which will end up being a yeah, a, a big thing for consumers. So, um, yes, warranties are not sexy. You know, we, 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 we say that all the time, but it is valuable for most of Americans. But sometimes it's, it's not even about the value. It's about the experience of dealing with customer service, you know? Yeah. So it's, I, I may be sold on, Hey, you got this $1,500 iPhone, but I know if I call, they're going to be running me through eight different, you know, prompts on the phone. Then they're going to send me to Russia somewhere that I have to <laughs> figure out how to explain to them that something's wrong on my phone. So we right. don't really have good relationships with warranty providers. Right. And yeah. so you, it's, it's like, they're always trying to figure out how to not pay to yep. help me, you know, get my yep. stuff uh, renewed. How do yep. you manage the customer service side of this experience without exposing yourself to people who just want to take advantage of the system? Yeah, I mean, look, there, there are always going to be people who want to take advantage, right? That, that's no matter what business you're in. Um, but we have a very, very clear rule inside of Upsy. That is take care of the customer first, no matter what. We actually have a budget inside of Upsy that is to take care of customer budget. My head of customer service. So... In our business, things go wrong sometimes. That's just the nature of the, of the business. You're, we're dealing with insurance companies who always want to not, not not pay claims as much as possible. And we're like the opposite. We're like, no, you're going to pay claims even if we have to pay the claim. Mm -hmm. And so we have this budget that if you start to go through that process and we see you going through that process, literally you'll get a phone call from us say, hey, Will, look, we see you having a tough time. We just want to get you taken care of. I can't tell you how many thousands of dollars from per customer that have made us 
simply because they're like, well, they actually care. Well, when you take out a warranty at Best Buy, they're not gonna call you and say, hey man, we see you having a tough time, let us take care of you. So what we've done, we, we created this like loyalty with our customers that they say, look, even if I'm in the right, Upsy is always gonna take care of me. Even when you're wrong, like I, I got a buddy, we just sent them a brand new washing machine. We just yeah. didn't, 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 didn't talk to them, didn't ask for permission, didn't do anything. It just shows up at the house one day. And they're like, holy moly, what's going on? Because this is what we believe in. You're going to be taken care of. I dig it. I dig it. Um, you mentioned like the Best Buys and the Targets. Um, and you also mentioned there's some other, you know, sharks in the water. It, I want you to like to level set like what the landscape looks like for the warranty market. And like, is this a game where it's like a David and Goliath and, and you're like trying to figure out how to topple the big dragons? Or do you have to outrun your counterparts who are, you know, in the early stages to be to your earlier point? You don't have to be 100 percent right. You got to be 25 percent right or 30 percent right. What has to happen to where you're 50 percent right? Does, is right. it toppling the Best Buy, the Target, or is it making sure that, you know, Flupsy, you know, Bupsy right. is, is not, you know, um, taking the market share? Right. So there's two sides of our market. There is the B2B side. So that is the side when you go to the website, um, like you go to you go to buy an e-commerce skateboard or something. And there's a little box that there says, you know, Will, would you like to add a warranty to your checkout? There's that side of the market. Then there's Upsy. That's on the totally, totally different side of the market, which is B to C. Like you won't, we won't ever be at your checkout, but we will always be here. So when, when you leave checkout, you can come to UPC, find your thing, protect it, and move on. Um, so when you look at the landscape, there's like the Best Buys of the world, there's Square Trades of the world, you know, um, there there is like the Shurians of the world. They all are sitting on that like B to B side where they want to be at checkout. They want to work with the retailers and, and get that easy distribution. What we're saying is that we believe that the most important person in this equation is actually not the retailer, it's the customer. So we want to sit on their side. So which means you got to give great pricing. You got to make sure you're transparent and you got to make sure you service the hell out of your customers. Because if you don't, they're just going to go back to the way it used to be done. And so for us, when we look at the landscape, we're always in a David Goliath type story because everybody only knows like the big box retailers doing it the way that they do. And I actually enjoy that because the way I'm built, I want it to be David and Goliath and I want to be the one throwing the rock. Yeah. Um, but then we have the other side where startups are coming out and doing the B2B thing. And we're like, cool, like, yeah. great. They're, they're going directly after the Best Buys too. I think more people in the game helps us topple the, the big players. So I'm appreciative of, of, of kind of the players that are doing it differently, but from a startup standpoint. Um, I would imagine, and I, I could be wrong because I, I don't know your whole business, but I would imagine the warranties are like the face value opportunities and that there's some rabbit hole to where you can build a stronger lifetime value of this relationship. Um, how, do, how do you get deeper relationships with your customers beyond just, you know, ensuring their iPhone. Yeah. So you would be amazed that the average household buys seven new devices a year and has over 50 connected devices in their home. So when you look at how do we build a relationship, it is not just protecting your iPhone. It's about how do we protect your TVs and how do we protect your laptop? 
And then how do we continue to get deeper and deeper in your life? So what happens, I mean, we got customers where they got 50 devices protected under us. Everything in their house is protected with Upsea. And then where we see ourselves going is going vertical, right? So auto warranties is another place where there's a big opportunity, $20 billion industry in the United States, where we think that eventually we're going to end up playing that game too. Um, and then it's about latching on, um, hey, you bought this iPhone. You can also get this specific case for your phone because we know everything about your device. Um, so we see all these different verticals going into products uh, where we play, but taking a step back, I tell investors all the time, we are extremely focused on being the best warranty selling company in the United States. And then we'll let this other stuff come, you know, kind of as, as, as the customer kind of pulls it out of us. You know, in your story, uh, I was reading, I used to work for a trucking company and, and there's a time where you said you negotiated new contracts and increased revenue by 200% while managing 10 people. Um, so you had chops, right? And so this is before you started Upsy, obviously. Yep. And there are many people who are great at their jobs. They work for, you know, a big corporation or they're on an upward trajectory in their career. They're not yet founders of their businesses, but they want to start businesses, um, but they're finding success. Those success indicators are apparent at what they do, um, but they're afraid to take that entrepreneurial leap. Uh, you weren't afraid, apparently. What do you say to those folks who are sitting on ideas? They're so good at delivering for their employer, but, but they don't know how to step out in being the employer. My advice, go back to what I said earlier, you have, you got to get out and just do it. It is scary. It sucks. It's, um, you know, you got to trim your life back to a, to a place of where you're at bare, bare minimums. Um, you know, you hear the stories about the ramen noodle diet among entrepreneurs and like no cars, like literally my wife and I, we, like I had a, a, a 96 Sebring, the air conditioning and the heat didn't work. So in the wintertime in Minnesota, I would literally like have blankets in the car, be driving with blankets over me. Um, and in the summer, I would be stripped down to my undershirt and my underwear in the car until I got to my destination and then put my suit on when I got there. Um, like we were down to like bare minimum, no going out to eat, no vacations, no nothing. Because we knew like, we want to sacrifice now. And I got this saying, either you're going to sacrifice now or you're going to sacrifice later. Yeah, my dad did that to me. You, you're going to do it. Yeah. You're going to sacrifice. You're going to sacrifice. Yeah. And oftentimes as entrepreneurs, we're like, well, I'm at this corporate gig. I'm making six figures. Life is good. I got the house and the car and da, da, da. But this entrepreneur game is one. You have to sacrifice all of that if you want to do it the right way. Like you can't come out of that, make a bunch of money and, you know, and, and live the best life <laughs> that, that you want to live. Um, so I would say like, you have to do it and you have to understand you are going to sacrifice. But I can tell you, if you ask my wife, if you ask my friends, like where we're at today versus where we made all the sacrifice, it was all worth it. I would do it again. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. It's produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Marissa Lewis. And special thank you to Micah Davis and Sakara Savanya, you know, like the wine. Yes, that's his real name. 
Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. Video version of this episode will drop to Black Tech Green Money on YouTube next week. So tap in. Enjoying Black Tech Green Money? Leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Go get your money. Peace and love. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. AT&T connects and old to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now.